When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. That it is. Very good morning to you and welcome in to you legendary people of Victoria. Doing it tough. We'd love to get your thoughts this morning on 1300 736 736. Let's talk some sport, get the phones ringing and get you involved in the program. There are no shortage of things to talk about from a sporting, from political perspective, obviously. We'll try and keep it as best sporting as we possibly can. Big show coming up. We're going to hear from Jordan Ruffhead from the Collingwood Football Club. Those players have been under extreme conditions with all of them set to go into a hotel tonight. That is the Collingwood players before flying in and flying out of Adelaide tomorrow. And remember, um, don't touch the footy. We'll get to that, of course. We're going to speak to a doctor this morning, Jeff Verrill, who will have his thoughts on Victoria's lockdown and the comments of the Chief Health Officer in South Australia, Nicholas Sperrier, who said to the fans attending that game... Duck and get out the way of the football. We'll head west and speak to an absolute guru journalist, one of the best in the business, Mark Duffield. All the regulars will talk some NBA Chad's Brothers quiz and your calls, your texts, so for double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. That's for temper, a mattress like no other. I want to get the show underway with this. Yeah, so in March, on this very program, it was the eve of the 2021 season, and I came off the top of this show like this, with Collingwood at the forefront of my mind. I said, out of all the 18 clubs, the Pies must be the team that is most eager to get the season underway. They have just seven days left of a torrid pre-season. Just two matches ago, they were on top of the world with one of their all-time great finals performances. That famous finals win out west now seems like a lifetime ago. I broke down the drama of the underwhelming 2020 finals exit, the carnage at the trade period, the racism report, Eddie Maguire stepping down and the out-of-contract coach, Nathan Buckley, admitting to his past failures. I finished by saying this. How will 2021 play out for the Pies? Will they be spent, giving the brutal off-season... Or will they be galvanised and ready to have another red-hot crack at winning a premiership? Well, three months on, at the halfway mark of this season, we have the answer. But no one could have predicted the tyre fire that was to come. On the field, the Pies 6th in 16th position with two wins and nine losses and a percentage of just 85. They are playing the most unattractive brand of football of all of the 18 clubs. In the last three weeks, they've averaged just 51 points and their players appear petrified to move the ball forward with any speed. They are 17th in the competition for points scored. Club legend Peter Moore didn't hold back. Might get to Peter Moore in just a second. What he does, if you recall, 
that you know the, he did all right there, and he kicked uh, quite a lot of goals and looked dangerous. The problem was that the, you know the game plan has never suited key forwards, and uh, it still doesn't. You know, there if you get a if you get a if you get a bag in the Collingwood forward line, it's usually going to be a fluke, you know, because it's not designed for that. It's designed for you know just getting it in and getting goals and clearances and you know getting stoppages and keeping it in your forward line. So that's a game plan. That's fine. So. At the moment, it was a difficult ask for him to make that switch the way the team's playing. SEN's Jared Waitley was horrified by what he witnessed from the commentary box at a crowdless MCG last Saturday. This is one of the worst games I've ever seen. It's pretty dreadful. What to say? That's the worst quarter I've ever seen in my life live. (laughs) (laughs) Final seconds all ticked down in the possession of Gary Rowan. There can never have been a game more worthy of being played in front of nobody than what just transpired. Geelong beat Collingwood by 10 points. Despite the external criticism, Buckley remains defiant and is sticking to his guns. Yeah, we want to win games of football, but I think the overarching feeling in the sheds is that we are playing a brand that we are more confident in and, and more positive about than you know, potentially a month ago or two months ago. And that's and whilst that's not getting us um, wins at the moment, and I, I think the players, as you can see, their energy and their enthusiasm remained for the entirety of the match. That was a positive. We're, we're still defending really well. We're hard to score off from stoppage. Um, we're actually moving the ball through the back half a lot better. Yeah, it's just that final piece for us. Most concerningly, the so-called Magpie Army have voted with their feet and refused to turn up and watch their team live in round 10 against Port Adelaide on a fine Sunday afternoon at the G, just 23,000 turned out. But it gets worse. Off the field, there's all-out civil war. On Wednesday, Jeff Brown announced a move to peacefully challenge for the presidency. That move was quickly rejected by current president Mark Corder. I think Jeff said that um, four of the members should stand down so he can become president. Um, the board's very strong on this. Not one board member will be standing down, let alone four. So that's where we are at the moment. We have an AGM coming up after the season, of which three out of the seven directors are up for re-election. That's a good time for the members to vote on any candidates that want to put that be put up. I mean, having an AGM at the moment just doesn't make a lot of sense. We're not that, you know, we're halfway through the season. Our staff and everybody are now starting to really struggle with COVID-19. You just don't know what's happening from one week to the next. So let's just settle the place down. There is an AGM occurring after the end of the season, and that's the time and place for the members to have their voice on who should be the directors. We have a very good board, and we're going to govern the Collingwood Football Club with proper governance. Um, We will make the call on Nathan Buckley whether we... Um, being threatened or not. We've just got to do whatever is in the best interest of the Collingwood Football Club. An ugly fight for control of the club now seems unavoidable. Former President Eddie Maguire continues to be linked to the brown ticket, and he's sick of it. I'm sick of being called a liar. I'm sick of it. I gave 23 years of my life to the Collingwood Football Club and everything I've ever done is for the benefit of the Collingwood Football Club. If I thought I was going to have more benefit to the football club, I'd still be the president. So I'm not. And if you read a story, whether it's by Michael Gleeson or by Michael Warner, and it has anything to do with me being involved in any faction or any push at the Collingwood Football Club, then you know that reporter is a liar. I am not involved in the football club in any way. Have I spoken to Jeff Brown? Yes, I have. Have I spoken to Mark Corder? Yes, I have. 
So how can a club who is uncertain of what its board makeup will look like make a call on whether the club's biggest name, Buckley, will coach the team next year? New footy boss Graham Wright was on SEN. He did his best to explain the decision-making process. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I think you have to let it play out. I don't think there's, but there's been no instruction or no conversation around not coaching the way you want to coach. Um, mm. He he has absolute um, full say in, in the way he wants to to coach the team. He's looking at the team from the point of view of, um, yeah, we've had a had a, a few significant injuries, not you know like to, to key players, and how are we going to blood new players into the team? And that and he's been really up for that and driving that more than anyone um, in relation to our, our younger players coming into the team, which we've had sort of seven debutants this year. So from that perspective, he's, he's basically got the, uh, the, the right of way to do exactly as he would like. Despite last season's fire sale at the trade table, Wright also admitted the club is suffering from lingering salary cap pressure. There's still, um, I suppose, a hangover in relation to, to, to salary cap. We've still got some... Um, uh, some issues we're dealing with there, but I mean they're not insurmountable at all. Um, but there hasn't been any conversation at the moment about how we uh, how we look at the list from a, an end of year perspective and, and exactly what we're going to do. Obviously, we took two uh, two younger players in the mid season draft last night, and that was really around talent. Um, so from our perspective, we're looking at how do we bring in talent and, and using all mechanisms of. Uh, of, uh, of player acquisition to do that, whether that be whether that be trade, whether that be free agency, whether that be draft um, and mid-season draft. So we're looking at all of those things at the moment, but no, no concrete decisions made on um, on anything from from that perspective. So in March we pondered how challenging things would get for Collingwood this year. We didn't know it would become this ugly. These issues have the potential to set the club back years. And in March, I asked the question how 2021 would play out for the Pies. It's now June, and that question is still as pertinent as ever. What happens next? one 736 736 to join in the conversation on the Captain's Run this morning, or you can send me a temper text, 0433 98 11 16. Hey, I think we... All wondered and questioned how the events that happened towards the end of last season and into the first months of 2021 would affect the Collingwood Football Club on and off the field this year. I now think we have the answer. Collingwood fans, I'm interested in the temperature of the room. How are you feeling to be in a situation like you are and for things to be as ugly as they are, not only on the field, but also off the field? George is going to get the phones ringing for us this morning. He's going to kick us off. He's in North Ringwood. George Collingwood is on your mind, mate. How do you see the events of this year? Good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, Kane. Uh, first of all, I should stress that I uh, always supported uh, Eddie Maguire until last year. However, the blunders of the lack of pride and the overpayment of players that don't deserve seven years, mm. is sitting in my stomach. Now, the other thing, you can compare them to Elliot at Carlton. And I think the honourable thing for the board to do is to resign. And the other issue that sits in my stomach is the 
jumper that Port Light has been using, uh, if they want to use, not Port Light, mind you, correction, Port Power. If mm-hmm. I was uh, on the board, I would take Port Power and the IFL to court for using our colours. And if that doesn't work, I have the biggest rally in Melbourne and shake the IFL Foundation. Good on you, George. He's unhappy. He's not happy with the contracts being handed out. He's he's off Eddie Maguire. It's interesting on Eddie. I think it paints Eddie in a better light. I mean, for, for his ability to keep the club as connected as what they were, I think... Uh, the situation that we're in now with Collingwood it improves the legacy of Eddie Maguire and the job that he did because as he's left, things have clearly fallen apart. Ross wants to continue this conversation. Uh, what's your thoughts on Collingwood, Ross? Yeah, g'day, Kane. Um, yeah, I think what you sort of said, a bit of a tyre fire, a dumpster fire, whatever it is. I think mm. that's what's going to keep happening down at Collingwood. I sort of predicted this when the trade stuff came out, that things are probably get worse before they got better. I don't think they get this worse, uh, you know, as bad as they are now. But um, Collingwood is, is so irrelevant on the field. It's not even funny. Um, it's, a bit of a perfect, it's a bit of a perfect storm. And then off the field, we're just a shambles of a club. Like, it's, it's embarrassing. I mean, it's at a point now where long-term members like me just don't feel as though they won't even watch games. Like, I... So, so I'm interested in that. I'm, I'm interested in that, Ross, because I've seen the the drop off in crowd numbers and all of that, and that's been that hasn't just been um, solely on Collingwood. That's across the competition. But are you disconnected and, to use your word, irrelevant the club because of the style of footy they're playing? Like, is it is it just so unattractive that you don't watch? Yeah, I think that's a fair bit of it. I think a lot of it also has to do with the stuff that sort of goes off the field but then you go to game day and it's literally like you go and watch this and it's like what the hell am I doing it's kind of like I guess you know it's kind of like banging your head up against the brick wall or doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result it's just insanity and that's how it kind of feels watching Collingwood at the moment from a fan's point of view so where do you sit with Bucks where do you sit with Bucks extend him or move him on Uh, well my view is Kane, you can renovate your house and your kitchen might be all right, but if you're going to renovate the whole thing, do it properly and take the kitchen out too. I think you probably, if you need a fresh start, it seems as though there's a fresh start just needs to happen. So probably, yeah, we just need we need a new coach. We don't need to go out and find you know the biggest name or anything like that. We probably just need to find the right coach. He's probably going to stick the path for a few years. I mean, mm. the last time we got the last time, well, one of the last times we got rid of. A favourite son. He left in the middle of 1986, and a guy called Lee Matthews came in, and he was a new coach, and he took us to a flag within three and a half years with some young players playing exciting footy. Maybe good on you know. Yep. Maybe. Good on you, Ross. A lot of people wanted to have their say on this one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Appreciate your thoughts and your contribution. Phil is one of those. Uh, your thoughts on Nathan Buckley, Phil? G'day, Kane. I can't believe I'm saying it, but. I'll probably be guided by you, mate. Surely the players need some peace of mind that you're going to have to give him an extension of one year just so the players have got some peace of mind towards the end of this year and next year while the board and 
everyone that's in a leadership position that's become self-indulgent at Collingwood sorts themselves out. But wouldn't the players want some peace of mind for a year, mate? Uh, yeah, it's a, well, it's a, that's why it's so messy. Because how can you extend the coach when you don't know who the president is? So, you know, what happens if the current president extends the coach, the new president gets um, inducted, if that's the right word, and doesn't want Nathan Buckley? That's, that's why they can't make a call on it. I understand Graham Wright's role in this, and he'll have a significant say, and they'll do a review, and they'll send a recommendation to the board, whoever that board is, before making a call. So it's, I can't see it happening anytime soon. My concern is... What is in Nathan Buckley's control is his game style, and it's putrid. It honestly is, and I, I get the defensive aspects of the game. I understand it. But if you're going to kick one goal in three quarters, you can't win. And isn't it about win and loss? <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're hard to score against, and they're strong defensively, and he's happy with the way they're playing, but they kick one goal at a three-quarter time. They've averaged 51 points in the last three weeks. You can't win by doing that, and it's a win-loss industry. So I think you'd want some certainty about Nathan Buckley's philosophy and his game style moving forward before you could uh, give him an extension. And I'm a big Buckley fan, and um, my, my opinion has started to shift after watching them play closely for the last three weeks and his comments after that game against Geelong. Uh, mix on the line. Collingwood, mate, your thoughts? Yeah, Volcano, how you going, mate? Good, Mick. You'll be loving this as a Port Adelaide man, will you? All this Collingwood bad stuff about Collingwood? Oh, I'm not sure if I'm loving it. I you know, Look, I, I think we need a strong Collingwood. I think we need the big, strong Victorian teams. It's um, crucial to the health of the game. So, no, I, I don't take any joy in the situation they're in. What's your thoughts? No, nah, well, it's it's just it's not, it's not Collingwood. It's like the last six months have been absolutely bloody putrid. It's... Um, it's stripped out all the, all the, the hearts of the Collingwood supporters and the, and the lifeblood. It's like someone come from out of space, took the Collingwood away, and put in a fake Collingwood. It's just it, <laughs> do, it doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be true. But it just needs to be fixed. And I think the sport is just one. Somebody's going to do the right thing, regardless of who it is. Just get in there and get it right and get us back up to the top where we should be. And, and one thing I want to say too: how come your mob, your we, your state there where you live, hasn't been made accountable for what's going on with the state of Victoria and the footy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't... Look, politics isn't my area, Mick, other than that I have the deepest sympathy, the fact that um, this cluster came out of South Australia. Like, it is it is embarrassing for us. And, I mean, it's not the first time that different states have been brought down or affected by um, cases from other states. But I'm not sure what, what accountability could you have I mean, it's not as if they can change anything for the situation they're in other than you know, offer the apologies and sympathy, which means absolutely nothing at the moment for the millions of you that are listening to us in lockdown this morning. We'll get to Joe, Shane, Paul, Lucas and Darren on the other side of this. Just a statement from the Adelaide Football Club. They've just released this moments ago, and I'll read it. The Adelaide Football Club has asked the AFL to investigate claims that several players and staff were not appropriately wearing masks on a return flight from Sydney last Sunday. The club acknowledges the government requirement for people to wear masks in airports and on all domestic commercial flights to minimise the risk of transmission. Our coaches, players and staff understand it is a privilege to be playing football during these times, as well as the need to adhere to protocols and guidance from the health authorities. The club is operating, uh, cooperating fully with the league and awaits the findings of the investigation. It is 21 minutes past nine o'clock. We'll get back to your calls on the other side of this. 
Uh, yeah, just the numbers are through for Victorian and the cases over the last 24 hours acquired locally four. I believe they're all linked from what I've read on social media. Nearly 50,000 tests again, which is an unbelievable effort, and 24,000 just over uh, vaccine doses were administered this morning and the news uh, in the news that a dedicated quarantine facility to be built at Avalon. You'll hear more about that in the 9.30 news headlines coming up. Joe's in Box Hill. Good day to you, Joe. You want to speak at Eddie Maguire? Uh, that's right, yeah. He's the one person. Look, from an outsider looking in, I think this is hilarious. And um, he's the one person that's ex- escaped scrutiny. And this goes back over 10 years ago when he um, tried the tried and true uh, formula for failure for Collingwood. And that's appointing a favourite son to coach the club. Um, to getting rid of Neil Baum, who's a proven premiership magnet. He'd played in two flags, coached two flags in Adelaide. He's been involved in Geelong and now Richmond with their flags. He's shunted him aside to bring in uh, Gubby Allen, um, the, who was responsible for getting Dane Beans in, um, who was responsible for the seven-year contract for a ruckman, of all people, on close to at least 900000 a year. This is all Maguire's doing, and everyone's making him out to be a hero. He's left the club in an absolute mess. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure the list management um, failures could be attributed to Eddie. There's a, you know, there's a dedicated list management team. Yes, those recommendations would be sent to the board, but you um, put these people in positions of power to make these decisions. And, you know, the Dane Beams one um, was a disaster. We know that. Brody Grundy's extension hasn't been a disaster, but certainly... Um, not something that I would have done. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't agree with you on that. I think you know, I think the situation that we're in now almost improves Eddie's legacy and the role that he played at that football club. He, he's a president that, across the journey, I would have liked to have had at my footy club. I know there's been some mistakes and some misgivings, but his record stacks up. Uh, we'll sneak in Shane quickly on Collingwood, mate. You've got 50 seconds before the news. Yeah, mate, look, uh, I think uh, one good year in 10 isn't good enough. I think it's time for a change. I think uh, <clears throat> Nathan's had his shot and it just hasn't worked. Uh, I don't think you can ever can Eddie. Eddie's taken us to, to levels that we would never have got without him. Um, I think also, too, the fact that Buckley says that we're going to do additional skill sessions mid, mid-season mid tells you a lot about where they where the, the team is at uh, on a skill set level and also on a thought process level. The thought process uh, with the ball in hand is as poor as I've ever seen it. And I think most, uh, I think I speak for most Collingwood supporters, where we're really disappointed that after the, you know, the almost dizzy heights of 2018, we're now looking at years in the uh, in a rebuild again. Good on you, Shano. Shano says time is up for Nathan Buckley. We'll get your thoughts on that. Paul, Lucas, Darren, Simon, and another Paul on the other side of the all-important news headlines. It is uh, 28 minutes to 10 o'clock. If you're listening to us on SENSA in Adelaide, it's just after nine. Paul has been waiting patiently. We're taking your calls on anything. You can take the discussion in any direction you like, but I'm particularly interested in Collingwood off the top and um, the situation that they find themselves in. Paul, have you got a thought on that? Welcome. Yeah, good morning, Kane. First of all, i got two things. Uh, I think the mid-season draft should be state-restricted to stop the VFL teams or the Victorian teams from raiding the more powerful SAS Banful and Waffle. Mm-hmm. And about Collingwood, has anyone ever considered that they're changing? Because they won't have enough points to pick up Dacus under the father son rule, so they're making sure they finish on the bottom of the ladder to be certain they get him. Uh, Collingwood tanking. Um... 
Look, I don't think any team tanks. There are some things that you can do um, that makes it more difficult to win. But in terms of players, they never never go out there with the thought of that. I, I personally hadn't considered that yet, Paul. And for Nathan Buckley, I would assume for his future, it's pretty important that they get some wins on the board and, and they improve the style of football in the second half of the year. Appreciate your thought. I, I agree. The, the mid-season draft just has to go. So... It, it's been exposed for what it's not supposed to do. It was there to give teams an opportunity to fill a hole in their list. It wasn't designed to top up for the future and act almost as like a national draft. So I think, you know, 85% of the teams or thereabouts have picked for the future, not for the now. I'm not sure that's what it was designed to do. So I agree with you on that point. Let's head to Brisbane and speak to Lucas. Hi, Lucas. How you going, mate? Good. That's the way. Um, mate, yeah, the Mark Corder thing at the moment, um, like, I think a lot of Collingwood supporters would just like to see a guy who doesn't second-guess himself so much when he's um, talking. He, um, he doesn't seem to have as much clarity as, as good old Eddie when he was in the job. He just came out and said what he believed, and whether it was right or wrong, he just made his point and got on with it, and I think that helped make a few decisions a bit clearer with Collingwood. Um, where Mark Porter just seems to be second-guessing himself a hell of a lot, and it, that came with a three-month, you know, wait to get him into the actual job in the first place. Mm. Yeah, it's not an easy spot for him to be in, is it? It hasn't, <laughs> hasn't been a smooth transition probably 12 months prior to when he thought he would be in the chair, and then perhaps didn't expect a challenge so short into his presidency. So I do have some sympathy. But is he a strong, natural leader? Um, to your point, I, I tend to agree. I haven't seen that of one of his characteristics yet, Luke. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's the man. Uh, let's also stay in Brisbane with Darren. Um, you want to speak about one of the new rules that came in this year, mate? That's the injury sub. How do you see it working? Oh, good day, mate. Thanks, Kane. I'm sorry for changing gears on the call. Oh, good. But, mate, look, I, I just wanted to um, run a thing that I potentially could um, come back to bite someone later in the year. So we started off with a concussion rule that morphed into a injury rule. So can I just play the devil's advocate here and say, let's just assume Brisbane as an example, and bearing in mind the stakes aren't high enough yet, we've had a player like Lockie Neal comes back and he's had a couple of months off. Now... I'm waiting for the time where potentially we're going to get a team that will play their superstar back from injury, play him as his sub, and we have lesser player comes off in the last quarter, getting 20 minutes as a top-up before he's ready to rock and roll fully the following week. Now, the the problem I have with that is it's okay as long as we're all aware that that can happen, and at this point there seems to be a fair bit of integrity around that that's not happening. But when the stakes get a little bit higher and clubs are in a position where it's all or nothing... Um, I'm wondering whether, A, that's going to be an acceptable thing that doesn't blow up, or, B, should we put things around it to get our stars back so Locking Hill gets a chance to come back a week earlier and we know that that's going to happen and potentially it becomes a coaching tactic of when you inject him because Yo the other day was proof in putting when you've been out for a long time and he's a great player, he doesn't have the impact. So does Brisbane keep a Matheson in for an extra week? and give Lockie another week on the on the sideline? Or do we bring him back and understand that we can bring him in with 20 to go and, and the game's a winner, Lockie's a winner, and everyone's under the same playing um, conditions? 
There hasn't been a lot spoken. So initially when it came in, we, we had the Vlosten one was in round one where he was the, the medical sub. I think it was round one. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you will. And he was subbed out. There was some talk that he was going to play the following week and there was some controversy over that. That seemed to slip from everyone's mind. We, we've had players subbed off that have played the following week. Now, initially there was talk that if you are subbed off, it's 12 days. That wasn't the case said it had to go through the AFL independent medical experts. That doesn't have to happen now. It's just a club call. So absolutely it is open to exploitation at the moment. Not a lot of people are talking about it. It's a a reasonable point you make. Uh, Darren, let's go to Simon. You want to get back on Collingwood, Simon. Your thoughts on Nathan Buckley and Collingwood? Yeah, g'day, Kane. Love your work. Um, Thank you. Just just particularly on Buckley, um, I'm I'm a 20-year member um, of the club, I'm going to drop my membership if Buckley does sign. Um, he's inept as a coach. I, I, I look at 18-19 and it's clear as day going to the game that you know, a lot of that was long your in um, hockey that uh, formed a game plan um, that was exciting and good to watch. Um, Buckley is totally inept in a sense where his selection, his use of players and players' management um, is just poor. Um, the club will lose players. Um, I'm hearing Maynard, um, potentially Dugowie, um don't want to be there. Um, if Graham Wright endorses Buckley as a, as a coach next year, it is going to set us back um, quite some time. He's a very selfish individual he said repeatedly, I will do what's best for the club. If what's best for the club is on his mind, then he should walk away. Ten years, he has been nothing but short of amateur hour. And, that, and that's uh, putting it kindly. That, that's, a str- that's a strong view, Simon. I, I don't share that with you. In what way has, has Nathan Buckley acted in anything but a professional manner. When you, when you say he's been amateur, you, you need to elaborate on that. Okay, so in relation to amateur hour, so I'll, 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 I'll run it by you in a list management point of view and a coaching point of view. So what happens... So, in, stick, so, stick to, so firstly, stick to coaching because, yep. you know, he, he right. doesn't, from a list management point, he doesn't watch the kids that these the list management team draft. He doesn't have a full yep. grasp of what the list management do yep. in terms of what other clubs have got and what players they are able to get. So let, let's stick to his role, well, which is on Well, he, he, he does in a sense. Now, last yeah, he, year, I, I, he's got, he does have his fingerprints on it, but in essence, it's yep. probably best if we stick to his coaching um, okay. Record. So in relation to his in relation to his coaching, we'll look at um, Darcy Moore. So he he bowed for media pressure. Yep, we'll move we'll move Darcy forward. Um, his game plan isn't um, conducive to to you know to, to forwards um, mm. to any forwards really. The, the goey Moore, if they were playing for the Bulldogs um, or, or a team that actually had a game plan, they'll actually be quite dominant. Now mm. he he moved him forward. Um, there's a kid called Will Kelly. Um, he, he's a young key position player. He played him against on Anzac Day. He played him one half in the back line. Then we were kicking goals, so he moved more back to the back line and Will Kelly up forward. Um, that's killing the kid's development. He then plays Rantoul, who's a young midfielder, McCray, who's a young midfielder. He selects them and plays them in a forward pocket. 
Now, they are Paul Fox, they're midfielders. That's where they were drafted at. He's, when you look at Magston, for example, um, who, he's just a battler, but he, he's played him on the wing, he's played him in the back line, and he played him as a defensive forward last week. Mm. He, he, well, he does not have a game plan. So we might, might leave it there because a lot of people want to have you say. Strong thoughts from Simon on Nathan Buckley. He says he'll tear up his membership if Nathan Buckley is appointed coach next year. J- just just on his record, uh, 54.4%, which is which is a pretty good coaching record over 10 years. Uh, only 12 finals and five and seven in finals is, is probably the blemish. And, of course, you know, a few minutes away from winning a grand final, but it hasn't got the premiership, and it's a different conversation if... He did have that premiership. So strong thoughts there from Simon. Not sure I necessarily agree with him, but appreciate the passion of the Pies fans this morning. Paul uh, is one of those. Hi to you, Paul. Hi, Kane. Great show. Um, yeah, Collins had a horrific year. We know that. But the icing on the cake would be to see Adam Trelaw doing a lap of honour with the premiership cup held aloft. It would be some sort of story if that was the case. Uh, text coming through as well, so many of them. Apologies, I haven't got to all of them. Kane, all I can say as an Essendon supporter to all the Collingwood supporters is stick by your club through these hard times. Your club is going through a tiny drama compared to what Essendon went through. Our supporters still went to the games and supported the club. Our club has said many times, if it wasn't for the support of our members and supporters, it would have been such a harder road to travel and things looking rosy now at the Bombers. That's from Darren. We'll get to Sam, Michael, Jason and Andrew. Get on the phone and have your say. 1-300-736-736. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. 13 minutes to 10 o'clock. Good morning to you taking your calls right through until 12. Big show still to come. Looking forward to getting stuck into it. A lot of you waiting patiently to have your say, including Sam. Uh, the president is Mark Corder for now, Sam. Your thoughts on him? Uh, yes, uh, Kane, good morning. Look, uh, before I talk about what well, I want to talk about, Mark Corder, just a word to Simon. Uh, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but to give a guy like Bucks, who's devoted 26 years of his life, to the Collingwood Football Club and he's decorated as one of the best players to ever pull a boot on, has coached for 10 years and lost the grand final by uh, a kick. Uh, mm. And uh, for him to say what he said shows no respect for Nathan Buckley or the Collingwood Football Club at all. He should go and break for Carlton. He'd be better suited. But anyway, uh, well, I like to talk about Mark Corder. Now, Mark Corder should call for a spill uh, of the Collingwood Football Club board, a bit akin to a politician where there are rumblings in a political party and mm. they then call us still and clear the air. He should get on the front foot and uh, call a spill for uh, positions become vacant. Then that will clear the air at Collingwood. Uh, Who do you want to be president, on, Sam? Uh, well, I'm in the in the corner uh, of um, Jeff Brown or Mark Corner. Yeah, 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 I'm in Jeff Brown's uh, corner. Uh, I think Mark has been a great contributor to Collingwood. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but uh, um, we need someone with fresh blood, uh, uh, and I like. Uh, 
to see a new coach, not because I don't think Nathan's uh, not a good coach or can't coach. Mm. I just think we need some fresh air. It might be time. Someone. Good on you, Sam. Appreciate your thoughts, mate. Uh, fair bit in that. Do you agree and disagree? I certainly agree with your comments off the top on Nathan Buckley, which were which were pretty respectful and in line with the contribution that he has made, which has been as significant as anyone has given to their footy club over a 25-year period. Michael's on the line, the Collingwood presidency. Michael, how's it going to play out? G'day, Kane. Hope you're well, mate. Um, Thank you. Look, I, don't, I don't pose to know... And I, I don't think anybody does, but I, I'm supposed to know everything that goes on inside the four walls of the Collingwood Footy Club. But the one thing, like, I, I just don't think they're out to make poor decisions when you've got a, a, a full room full of Collingwood people. They're not there to make the worst decision they can. So I think, you know, having a bit of faith and, you know, looking out for each other in the, in the Collingwood Army to try and, you know, just battle through the, the tough time. You know, just just wanted to get your thoughts on that because well, I, I run a national labour hire company and we we don't make decisions lightly when we're appointing staff, when we're you know making decisions regarding our board, anything mm. like that. It doesn't happen just you know. Oh, we'll just get onto that quickly and just knock it out, tick it off the list. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. You, the people are good people making these decisions. They've just made some wrong ones and a lot of them have been in and around list management and we've seen Ned Guy step down and I guess what a footy club and strong footy clubs want is stability and there is no stability at that football club with what has gone on in the last 12 months so new head of football we're going to need a new list manager or, or the role that Selwood will play in that they perhaps need a new coach there might be a new president like it's just messy and there is no stability and that's what strong footy clubs are built on and Richmond are the best example of that we'll quickly get to Jace uh, hello to you Jace yeah, g'day, guys. Look, it just occurs to me, people are out with opinions. They should do some research before they do. Um, Collingwood don't have their first-round pick. They traded it, mate. So I don't think they want to finish down lower to give GWS a better look at the ice cream. Good on you, mate. Yep, uh, it'll all be about Dacos in that draft and getting as many points as they can and perhaps not going to into deficit with the points that they will require to get him. But we spoke to Kautumi about that last week on this show. He reckons Dacos is as exciting as Sam Walsh and the other first round, the best first picks in the draft that he's seen at the same age. So there's some optimism for Collingwood fans. We'll get to Andrew, Thomas and Tom on the other side of this. Yeah, Andrew's been waiting patiently, so we'll get straight to him. Lots of calls coming through this morning. Don't forget, we'll take them right through until 12 o'clock. day to you, Andrew. Uh, good morning, Cornsey. Look, uh, as an Essendon supporter, I, my heart goes out to Collingwood people. Not really, but anyway, they, it's basically... <laughs> good try. <laughs> <laughs> I better be honest, uh, but but uh, they just need look. I, I, you know, they are passionate. They want their club to do well. But the problem with Collingwood is is with with their coach um, Buckley. It's the it's the shooty syndrome like we had at Essendon. Years of service, uh, divided loyalties. Um, but the, the key point is, if they're going to go to a new coach, they better pick the right one. Mm. So, and that's not easy, as we know, Andrew. There's no magic formula for picking a coach. Uh, Thomas is on the line. Uh, Jordan Degoe, mate, your thoughts on him? Hey, mate. Um, Jordan Degoe is rated really highly. 
And uh, Jakey Stringer plays the same game style as him. I just wonder uh, why Jakey Stringer doesn't get any recognition like Tagoe does. Yeah, well, Jordan Tagoe is rated highly on potential, not by output, um, is is what I would say. So, and you know, I understand it's a difficult position for him to play with the way Collingwood moved the ball. I think at their best, Jordan Tagoe is a better player than Jake Stringer, but output would suggest. Stringer probably in the last two seasons has been better. It's not a bad point you you raise. Uh, Dan's on the road. Good day, Dan. How you doing today? Good, thank you. Um, just wanted wanted to uh, touch on Buckley. I, I mean, I do believe that it's time for him to go, uh, but selection has always been an issue, and it's it's not something that has only just come up recently. Um, now, the young players who are supposed to be developing, they don't really have a good model to go on because when, when Buckley leaves people on like Thomas and Hoskin Elliott and so forth when they're not performing, it shows the young people that it's okay to basically have subpar performances and that's basically what they'll end up learning. And if, if players in the VFL have really standout games and they don't get selected, then... Um, it ends up being an issue of uh, of morale and stuff like that as well. And I think um, people like uh, Cox this year, uh, maybe even last year, Travis Zabarco, they were seemed to be whipping boys for, for being dropped when other people should have been dropped a long time ago. Dan's got a criticism uh, over selection there. Tom and Peter and Dave will get you. So uh, apologies, we're hard up against the 10 o'clock news, which is... Pretty important with everything happening in Victoria. Big show coming up. Uh, one of the leading sports doctors in South Australia. We're going to get on to speak about the injury race. Jordan Ruffhead from the Pies. Mark Duffield from Perth. The quiz and your calls all coming up this morning. On ECN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Yeah, that it is. You can get involved right through until 12 o'clock today. We'll hear from Nathan Buckley very, very shortly. He's just fronted the media. He's spoken extensively about his philosophy surrounding his game plan. I know it's been a hot topic for a lot of you uh, in the first hour of this show. The number's one three hundred seven three six seven three six. But right now, I thought we'd go to one of the experts in the sporting field, Dr. Jeff Verrill is a sports and exercise physician from Adelaide. He's been a keen observer and he's crunched a lot of numbers in relation to COVID and the statistics. He's also a doctor for the Australian cricket team and the South Australian Sports Institute. He's got his private practice in Adelaide. Doc, thanks so much for your time. Yes, thanks for having me on. We'll get to the injury trends in the AFL and what you've been observing this year and has there been a more prevalence of injuries and certain types of injuries shortly. But firstly, you have observed the COVID stats cl as close as anyone and, and your modelling that you've done yourself has been pretty accurate. W what do you make of the lockdown and the decision of the Victorian government uh, in, the, in the last few days? Yeah, it's a, it's all a difficult situation. I mean, my view is probably not the majority of your listeners, but I actually think all the recent lockdowns and the quarantine breaches have been fairly, you know, unnecessary. Um, in Victoria at the moment, there's 63 cases out of 5 million people. That's a very, very low percentage. Um, a lot more people in Melbourne get in trouble for eating death cat mushrooms. So that's, uh, yeah, that's sort of puts it in a bit of perspective and there's sort of no logic behind the 
the restrictions, and it does penalise a lot of people in the society, particularly probably the poor and uh, and young women. So how does it get to this position where Victoria are in lockdown? And we, we've seen it across uh, across the nation in the last 18 months. We've seen it in South Australia. How does the decision-making process get to this level where they, they do lock up 6 million people? Yeah, the, the decisions are made by politicians, but they, they use the... Uh, they sort of tell us that it's under the guise of health. Now, if you listen to health advice, by its definition, it's going to be very risk-averse. So they will tend to listen to the health advice and then... They lock the people down without really thinking, you know, of the risks to uh, society, to the people who they close down and the deaths or injuries that might occur. I mean, being a leader is no easy task. And um, Tony Blair, who actually grew up in Adelaide, always said the art of leadership was to say no, not always saying yes. It is very easy to say yes. And I think a lot of the politicians sort of, uh, say yes to the health advice and I don't think the health advice has always been as accurate as it should be. So perhaps a lack of leadership? Yeah, I, I, as I said, I think it's a major, majority view but in South Australia and Victoria we sort of have a police state and a very compliant press. The system the state has set up in South Australia has very little business and input and doesn't really look at risk-reward ratios it's all centred on the COVID risk. So as a result, we get advice from one section that goes to the politicians who are not really in charge or willing to make a decision to say no, and suddenly a lockdown occurs. Speaking to uh, Jeff Verrill, who's a sports and exercise physician in Adelaide, he's been a keen observer of a lot of COVID stats and, and numbers. The variants that we're, we're hearing about, Jeff, more transmissible than others? How, how, what have you made of those? Yeah, the variants are very difficult to uh, to sort of get your head around. Before they were named as uh, on the regions are found, nowadays they've taken on the Greek letters. So the one in Victoria is the Kappa um, variant. Um, and so in Victoria, also the press don't seem to be quite as compliant as in South Australia. So there has been a little bit more contesting of what the Chief Health Officer has said. Um, and it's unfortunate that, you know, he, there's been a, probably a bit of stretching of scientific proof. Um, and that has, uh, you know, causing some of the situation that we're they're in. So the final the point I'd make about the variants is the Centre for Disease Control in Atlanta, which is probably the leading organisation in the world, apart from the World Health Organisation, says at the moment there's no variant of high consequence, meaning that the vaccine still works, the treatment still works, and the severity is no worse with any of the variants. Mm. Um, there's been a recent UK paper that says hospitalisation and death rates have slightly decreased with the variant that they have there. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. What, what have you? I know you've had a look at the numbers overseas, and that would be the positive out of it. Is that a fair take? What have you noticed with the virus and how it's um, been managed overseas? Well, England's been a great success story. Its hospital admissions had a peak of like 4,000 a day, and it's gone down to about 80 per day. Um, there's been the Delta uh, variant, and that 
has uh, been in the press in the last couple of days about England, but the hospitalisation rates have not um, have not altered. So that's unequivocally good news. The USA has had its best week since the start of the pandemic. Um, they don't have the Indian variant, but rather they have the the Brazil variant. Overall, it hasn't been a great uh, time for anyone in the world with all the deaths mm. in Great Britain and the US. Now, Great Britain had 600,000 deaths in 2020, and this was about 75,000 above the five-year average. So we see a 14% increase in the number of deaths because of COVID. Mm. In Sweden, where everyone had... You know, they said they didn't have any lockdowns. Well, they've seen about a 5% increase um, in death rate. Now, so none of this is good, but, you know, we don't, we really need to get you know, a good look at ourselves when we've got 63 cases out of 5 million people and whether we should be penalising our society. Mm. Um I was a little bit embarrassed to hear our Chief Health Officer, Nicholas Sperrier, mention the footy tomorrow and to avoid people touching the football. What did you make of, of that health advice ahead of the Collingwood and Adelaide game tomorrow? I mean, probably the kindest thing you'd say it was fairly unscientific. Um, our South Australian Transition Committee has got some form in these sort of areas. I mean, one of the more laughable things that I've heard through COVID is if people were having weddings had to choose between having alcohol at the wedding or having dancing, um, that's probably not really a, a hard choice, really. Um, but the continuing the continuing problem, my continuing problem with this whole episode in all you know, national and local is that there's just no plan. I mean, the Melbourne situation is a classic. You know, why can't the population be told when the lockdown will end? And it seems to be on the whim of the chief public health officer and the you know, politicians. You know, keeping people on edge is really using fear as the guiding um, pathway to try and keep the population compliant. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's probably all I should really say. Yeah. About the all right. Well, let's get let's situation. get on to the on-field issue because this is where you. You really are an expert in terms of the injuries and the AFL trends. What trends have you seen on an injury front with games being longer and interchange reducing and some other rule changes? Yeah, and also, I mean, that's a less controversial topic, though probably more of interest to listeners of this show. We should have expected more injuries because of what you've just suggested, but also there's now B-grades playing or reserves-grades playing, so there's a lot mm. more football being played, so the whole squad's... So you can't really compare 2021 to 2020, um, but if you compare it to 2019, there is a 12% increase in my calculations on the number of athletes who are missing games. So it does seem larger than this, and it may be that some injuries are you know, causing more games to be missed. And concussion is a topic. I mean, the, the, the biggest one was Chelsea Randall missing the AFLW grand final because of concussion. How have you seen the AFL stricter protocols around concussion? Yeah, over the over the you know, preceding sort of six years with a concussion, the number of players concussed has not really changed, but the number of games they missed has increased. 
And so in some ways, the AFL mandating the 12-day rule is going to make probably little difference to the actual number of games missed for concussion because that was increasing anyway. But as you said, it could end up with some athletes being you know, in tears when they miss their major competition as we get towards the end of the year. Ankle syndesmosis is a word that not a lot of us were that familiar with perhaps three or four years ago. It's very common now. What is it and why are we seeing so many of them? Yes, the, the injuries uh, result from ankle sprains where you turn your ankle either inside or where you turn it outside. When you sprain your ankle, you usually have an inversion injury, meaning the ankle turns in and you almost always injure your outside ligaments. On, and we call them the lateral ligaments of the ankle. On some occasions, you injure the ligaments that actually connect the tibia and the fibula, so inside the bone, and we call these the syndesmosis ligaments. Mm. There's two of them. There's one at the front and there's one at the back, with the back one being more important. I mean, these injuries have been known about for a long time. Why does it seem to be more common? Is it just a change of language? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the the other thing is that we now have a tool to recognise those injuries a bit more. So the MRI um, does see those ligaments really well, whereas uh, you can't see the posterior syndesmosis ligament on ultrasound. Um, surgery has also become a little bit popular and it's a bit easier to perform. And it's touted as a quicker return to sport and prevents long-term problems, well, that's what they've said. I, I have some significant doubts that this is the right thing to do. Mm. Doc, thank you so much for the update and your thoughts and your expertise on, on all things that are affecting the nation at the moment and also from a sporting sense with injuries. Appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Dr. Jeff Verrill there, and we'll also hear from uh, the Health Minister, Martin Foley, at some point. I think they're speaking at about quarter to 11, so we'll just take a short portion of that. I understand a lot of you are COVID fatigued and enough, and you just want to speak about sports, so we'll do our best to do that. And as always, you can give me a call and talk about anything you like, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 I mentioned that uh, Nathan Buckley has spoken. Of course, Collingwood and the Pies have been the hot topic off the top this morning. A lot of you texting and calling on that, uh, he has spoken to the media, the coach of, of Collingwood. This goes for a little bit of time, but he was grilled about the game plan that he's been wheeling out this year. Take us through the, the, the sort of the game, the, the defensive game plan. Is, is it you guys trying to think that that's your best way of winning or is it sort of the start of a, um, a reset of the game plan and you're looking more medium and long term with it? You know, no, it's not a defensive game plan, Rob. That's not that's not a, a, a label that we've that I've given it. Um, it's just the way we play. Um, we definitely have been able to possess the ball more uh, over the last four or five weeks compared to early in the season. We just um, we looked at attacking in a different way, and we weren't possessing the ball as often, weren't, weren't for, forcing the opposition to defend. We're actually criticised for going too straight, and, and we felt we felt we were going too straight, too predictable to the opposition. So. Um, we're finding that balance uh, offensively and, and we're definitely forcing the opposition to defend more, uh, especially in our back half. Um, the piece that's been missing is that connection going forward. You know, we're, um, as, as a, in terms of inside 50s, we're giving ourselves as much or more supply than, than our opposition in recent times and there have been some pretty good opponents. 
Uh, it's just that final piece of being able to connect. Um, and that's that's something we've worked on over the last couple of weeks whilst we've been you know, re-schooling our defence and re-establishing you know, those strong elements of our game. And um, No, we, we don't intend to be dour, um, but at the moment that has been a, a step that we've gone through and we just haven't been able to, to um, convert our opportunities, whether it be accuracy or, or that connection inside Ford 50 to... To kick a score that um, yeah that we we believe we're capable of and you know this week could be the week for that. Not a defensive game plan according to Collingwood and Nathan Buckley. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll hear a little bit more from him shortly on the board situation and the unease off the field. But Gary is in Lara. You want to chat about that club, Collingwood, mate? What's your thoughts? Morning, Kane. Uh, now listen, there's just a few key areas that we have to cover. They're not that difficult to understand. Remember, we had Marky Corder talking to Gerard earlier in the week. We had the vice president on a few days ago talking about governance, talking about skills, diversity on the board, collaboration, processes, all those important things, right? Well, get this. You've got business people that are focused in charge. You don't need any of that stuff because what you look at what's happened so far is that you have people that can't do the salary cap properly. How come there's a sudden governance issue about the salary cap? Can't these people on the board add up? Who is it that decides we're going to go and chase Dane Beams again? Someone signed off on that. And what about signing a Ruckman for seven years? You don't do those things. So therefore, those people that are sitting in those chairs while these decisions are made need to go. That's the reality. And people out sitting out there in the suburbs, that's what we see. And we hear spin every day. Well, spin doesn't mm. work. So so my thoughts have been the last, uh, I don't know, even since I was playing, I was, I was absolutely sure that player wages should become public. And I, I have a number of reasons for saying that. And part of it is for accountability. Um, you've got 100,000 or whatever it is, I'm not exactly sure how many Collingwood members there are that sign up and go and pay to go and watch this team play, they need to keep the club accountable for the way that this salary cap has been spent. I doubt whether Collingwood would be in this salary cap mess if player wages had become public because there's no way the Collingwood members would have stood for what has gone on and got them into the situation that they are in now. I firmly believe we will be better off and clubs will be held to account if player wages are public and the club is accountable for the way that they spend their $13 million in the salary cap. You can have your say on that. I know a lot of people disagree, but that's fine. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Hey, on Sunday, don't forget to listen to This Is Your Sporting Life. Sam Edmund talks to champion Australian tennis player and former Melbourne CEO Paul McNamee. Uh, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. The NBA is underway. Uh, Denver leads... 3-2 against Portland in game six early on in the first quarter. It is six to five. We'll talk some NBA a little bit later on, but playoffs in full swing. Of course, the Lakers are on the brink of elimination against Portland. They play, sorry, against the Phoenix Suns. They play a little bit later on this morning. Currently, it's 20 minutes past 10 o'clock. Jared Ruffhead is also going to join us from the Pies. Uh, in fact, we'll get to him next. You're listening to the Captain's Run with me, Kane Corns. It's been an interesting week for both teams. One of their really good players, been around for a long, long time now, very reliable defender, Jordan Ruffhead is his name. Jordan, thanks so much for your time. 
No, thanks for having me, Kane. Hey, appreciate it. We've, we've spoken to the Crows and, and the chaos that they've been under this week. It's worse for you because you've got to come across and be under almost ridiculous um, conditions. How's the week played out for you and your teammates? Yeah, it's certainly been an interesting week. But to be honest, mate, it's the, I guess the, um, the restrictions on us aren't all that much greater than, um, than the rest of Melbourne and, and Victoria have been under. Mm. Um, obviously, we were living under lockdown. Um, conditions already and uh, the call came through on Wednesday that from 5pm um, essentially we were to, to quarantine um, just between our, our homes and, and the football club um, where possible and, and some of the guys have had to spend um, a, an extra night uh, in a hotel last night um, if they couldn't, their families and their, their housemates um, couldn't quarantine through the day yesterday um, fortunately my wife was able to stay home, so I came home and, and spent another night at home. But into the hotel um, post training today, and um, it'll, it'll change the, the sort of 24 hours before the game for us a little bit. In that we, we're obviously flying in tomorrow um, rather than today, and, and spending the night in, in a hotel in Melbourne will be interesting. But um, certainly looking forward to the game tomorrow, and, and very grateful that we're able to to play in front of uh, an Adelaide crowd that I'm, I'm sure will be big and, uh, and and as always pretty hostile. Yeah, it will be. So j- just confirming, so. Y- some teammates are already in the hotel and the rest of you will be joining them today after training. Yeah, correct. Correct. So as I said, the guys who had housemates or uh, people they lived with that had to go to work or um, even children that were in, in childcare yesterday, um, obviously they were, were unable to quarantine. Um, so they went from training yesterday directly to the hotel um, and the rest of us will, will join them later on today. Jordan, the fly-in, fly-out factor, is it doable? Um. I'm only speaking from one game experience. Um, we flew from Brisbane down to, to Adelaide last year, day of the game. Um, certainly doable. Um, we had a bit of a slow start that day, um, and it took until the second half for us to, to get on top and win the game. So hopefully um, the, the same won't happen this year, and, and we'll be able to um, set ourselves for, for a fast start um, and come out, come out strongly. But, yeah, definitely doable. Um, not a huge flight. Um, obviously only about an hour in the air. Um, and, and something that, yeah, as I said, we're, we're really just grateful that the game is going ahead and hoping to uh, to play some, some good footy, which we've been able to do in patches this year, but we need to do far more consistently. So your form is interesting, and there's been a lot of talk about it. A couple of close losses to Port Adelaide and Geelong recently. Do you feel like you're playing good footy? Yeah, some of the things we're focusing on, we're, we're able to do really well um, through patches of the game. I think last week... The 10-point result probably wasn't a fair reflection of the game. A um, bit of the heat came out of it in the last quarter and we were able to, to, to kick a few quick goals that we probably never felt like we actually had time to, to kick enough to, to win the game. Um, but, yeah, certainly some, some aspects of our game that we've really been going to work on. Um, and internally, we've, we feel like we've been able to, uh, to show improvement in them. Um, as I said, it's, it's more about us now being able to, to perform consistently over a, a four-quarter um, performance. Uh, we've got some, some a lot of young kids who are coming to the team this year and are starting to get a bit of experience. So um, hopefully as the weeks go on, we can um, we can salvage something out of the back end of the year. Collingwood defender Jordan Roughhead joining us this morning. Collingwood flying into town to take on the Crows tomorrow and flying out. Lots been spoken about your style of play, Jordan, and, and people like myself look at it and think, why are you playing so slow and wide? Are, have the players gone into their shell? Have you discussed the opportunity to move the ball forward more fluently or is the way you're executing exactly what the coach wants? 
Um, yeah, look, ball movement's an interesting thing. Like we, we look at you look at a team like West Coast and, and their ability to maintain possession and, and hold on to the footy um, this year and, and over the last few years. And mm. it's something they've been able to do really well is, I guess, maintain possession and pull apart a, the opposition's team defence and, and then go forward and, and keep big enough scores to win. And um, I guess that's a one of the reasons we've looked to to maintain the ball and, and hold on to a little bit more. And we just felt like this year. Um, particularly with the, the rule changes that the being able to, to maintain the footy and, and hold on to it and look after it, um, the team that had a, a higher time in possession was probably more likely to, to win more games of footy. Um, what I will say is that our skill execution um, hasn't allowed us to do that. We haven't we haven't looked after the ball well enough. We haven't kicked it well enough, and and that's hurt us. Um, again, we feel like our, our defence holds up quite well, um, but we obviously need to, to find greater avenues to score and. And absolutely, looking to, to move the ball more quickly and, and more fluently has been something we've looked at and, and is definitely something that, as I said, we'll, we'll be trying to, to implement through the back half of the year. Yeah, we spoke to Nathan Van Burley from the Crows this morning. He he praised and almost lauded how strong defensively you have been. You've played at both ends of the grounds before. Are the forwards frustrated? Um, you'd be better off speaking to one of them. Mm. Um, I, absolutely, I, I think they would be. Um Playing in the forward line is, is is very hard at the best of times when, when the ball is moving fluently. You've got really high quality defenders, um, and, and it's often not even one on one. You're often competing against the number. And obviously, when the ball gets in there quickly and um, and you're able to, I guess, use your tricks, it's it's a hell of a lot easier. So we we probably haven't made the game as easy as we'd like to for our forwards. Um, again, something that that we're working on, and um, we can only, I guess, look at it one week at a time. And, and this week. There you go. There's a little footy cliche. Sorry, so <laughs> um, but so that's we've just got to look at the crows this week and, and see what we can do with our ball movement and try to make the game easier for for folks like Jordy Degoe and Brody Mycheck, Darcy Cameron, who's having a strong year. Um, get it in there, give them some access, and, and hopefully allow them to um, yeah to show us their wares. What about the off-field stuff, mate? I, I know what players are like. They don't tend to get too distracted about what's happening off the field and boards and presidents and these types of things and challenges. Have Has anyone um, spoken about it? Have you been affected by it? Because it is getting pretty messy off the field. No, mate, I think your point's bang on. Like, like you said, you, you don't tend to get too affected by it internally. Um, and to, to be perfectly honest, I think that there'd be... It'd be a pretty safe bet that there's guys on our list who don't even know the name Jeff Brown, mm. um, and, and obviously there's, there's there are guys who take more interest in it and read the headlines or, or read the, the news a bit more frequently, and and will be across it. Um, but it's not something that I feel has has affected us um, from an inter, internal workings point of view, it, it, particularly in the, the football department. I obviously, can't comment on what's been happening in the the commercial team and the the admin team, but. From an on-field performance, we're, we're really just focused on, on what we can do um, day by day and, and, and over the weekends to, to make our, um, our environment a little bit more positive. And, um, and the best way to do that is obviously by winning games of footy. Spoken a lot about Nathan Buckley this morning. Talkback callers having their say. He's out of contract, but how's he holding up? Yeah, he's holding up really well. Um, you talk about pressure, obviously, when you're two and nine, all, all parts of your football program are going to be reviewed and players and coaches are a part of that as well. Um, but as a group, we're, we're really supportive of Nathan and, and he's supportive of us and, and we're just trying to implement the strategy and game plan that, that he and the other coaches are, um, are devising for us and, and we're of the belief that if we can do that effectively enough, we can win more games than we're going to lose in the, the 
last 11 games of the year. Back on to the game tomorrow. Have you put your hand up to play on Tex? Absolutely. Always fun to, to play on the, the best forwards, and, and he's obviously in, in great nick. And, um, are we, are we going to call it the best form of his career? Is that what the media are saying at the yeah, moment? I, I think he probably is. Yeah, I think he's in All-Australian form, hasn't been in the All-Australian team before. What What is... What does your preparation look like for just you individually? How do you prepare for someone like Taylor Walker or any of the, the better key forwards in the comp? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Last two games we've had Charlie Dixon, then into Tom Hawkins, and um, and obviously we'll spend a bit of time in the vicinity of the text um, tomorrow. Um, not a heap changes, to be honest. We, we play a team defensive structure, and my role in that is to, to help my teammates as best as I can. And... Um, and we try and limit the, the number of one-on-ones that we're exposed to. So if I am deep and, and standing next to Tex, hopefully there'll be someone else someone else out there that's, that's coming over to, to support me. And um, I'll, I'll watch a vision today with, uh, with Robert Harvey and, and have a look at what he's doing well. Um, he obviously presents it to you really well, Tex, so we've got to try and take that away from him. Um, but, yeah, it is it is a real a, a group mindset, a group mentality, and we'll just be trying to stop all six forwards rather than focusing on one too heavily. Uh, four changes for the lineup. No Brody Grundy is the big one. Tell us a little bit about Max Lynch. Max Lynch, the king of Albury. Um, he's a really good dude. If anyone doesn't follow him on the socials, they probably should. Okay. Um, he's a, a good young kid. Um, he's had a, a little exposure to, to AFL footy last year. Played a game up in, in Brisbane while we are in the hub. But uh, he's been in great form through the VFL um, early this year. And, and he'll come in and, and hopefully can take on Rob. He's, a, he's an aerob, aerobic beast, Matt. So um, he'll be looking to uh, to test him out around the ground and, and hopefully has a, a really positive impact on the game for us. And the other one as well, it's great to see Jamie Elliott back in. Hasn't played since round two. And I know he's really important to your forward structure and does give you some potency. So um, it'd be a thrill for everyone to see him back in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely, Karen. And he's, he's one of the players that we love having the ball in his hands because he, he does have that... Um, the ability to move the ball quickly and, and see space where, where others don't. So hopefully he'll be able to um, help us move the ball more quickly into the forward line and, and whether he's on the receiving end or whether he's delivering it into our forwards, I'm sure um, that, that he'll be a great, um, a great in for us this week. We've heard a couple of the players being concerned about the potential of going into a hub like you guys experienced last year. With you and your family, did you have concerns over that and would you put your hand up if you had to go for an extended period of time? Oh, mate, we'll do what we've got to do to, to get the season away. Um, obviously, the the prospect of hubs is there. It's one that, from what I'm told, the, the AFL and the, the Players Association are certainly working as hard as they can to, to avoid, um, given the, the impact that it had on, on players and, and staff. Um, and I think that's what's forgotten a little bit is, is the staff that we've got medical professionals who, who had to shut down their clinics last year to join us in the hub. And mm. the financial impact of that is, is obviously huge. So it's not just the players that, um, that I guess suffer from from the I don't know if that's the right word to use, but that suffer from being in the hubs. It's it's the impact on the the support staff around them as well. But whatever we've got to do to get the season away, we'll, we'll be looking to do. And um, we're looking at this game against Adelaide. Then we've got Melbourne the following week, and, and then we're into the bye. So obviously the the landscape should could shift quite substantially in that fortnight period, and we'll just have to see where we're at and um, and what it's going to look like going forward. Jordan, we really appreciate your time, mate, and what's been a pretty chaotic week for you and your teammates, and, and good luck against the Crows tomorrow. Thanks very much for having me.
Have a great day. 16 minutes to 11 o'clock. Thanks for your company this morning. As always, you can join in the conversation with us, 1300 736 736. We're going to head out west and speak to Mark Duffield, who's a guru on all things happening at West Coast, including a bit of injury carnage there and, of course, the latest on the dream time in Perth. Send us a text as well for temper and mattress like no other. Well, it's that time of the year where it is pretty exciting because the NBA playoffs are heating up. So we thought we'd get our man on, Austin Krell from Philadelphia, as the Sixers win through to the second round, knocking off the Wizards yesterday. Austin, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's very, uh, very an honor to be on here. I appreciate that. It's a pretty clinical performance from your Sixers uh, yesterday and through the first round of the playoffs. Take us through it. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Joel Embiid obviously goes down for the Sixers with the torn meniscus. Um, they say it's a slight tear and it's day-to-day. Um, so they're basically basic, uh, you know, trying to force this series to get done with uh, shorthanded a little bit. And, you know, uh, Ben Simmons, Australian native, steps up with a triple-double. Uh, heavily scrutinized Ben Simmons, I might say, mm. in the city of Philadelphia and all. Uh, throughout the 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 country of, of you know that with with the basketball fans that we have, so he he had a, a heck of a series, um, 15 rebounds, 15 assists in the first game. He had 22, nine and eight in the second game, and then uh, last night he had a you know a masterpiece triple double. So Ben was leading the way for the Sixers as they closed out uh, the Wizards in five games in Philly. So, Austin, take us through that scrutiny. You say heavily scrutinized Ben Simmons. What, what is it about him that, that divides the, the Philly fans? Uh, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you know, figure it, when you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, what, what, I would say is, what, what I would say is with Ben, um, he's the type of player where his impact doesn't always show up in just the basic box score. Um, you know, points, rebounds, assists, turnovers, whatever. Um, and I think in this in the city of Philadelphia, um, it's a you know it's a, it's a blue collar city. People who you know they, they want to see athletes give a hundred percent every time. And Ben does you know give max effort, but his impact doesn't show up in the most digestible of statistical categories. He doesn't score a ton of points. Um, he doesn't always generate a bunch of assists, although he's a great passer. Um, he's, a, he's a pretty good rebounder for a guard, has some turnover issues from time to time, but really it's, you have to go back and, you know, wa- rewatch things and, 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 and go back and trace the way that the play started to begin with um, to see Ben's value. So, you know, I think people who pay close attention to Ben and his game and, and team, they, they value, uh, you know, what he is. He's a different type of star, but he's certainly a star nonetheless. He impacts winning in Philly. Uh, tremendously, he's been they've been a, a significantly better team ever since his rookie season than they were, you know, really ever not just not just previously, but in my entire lifetime. lifetime. I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid twenties now, um, so you know, I think this scrutiny is sort of based on the fact that his impact is not something that you can just easily see and and and, and detect uh, just by looking at a box score. So you mentioned Joel Embiid, who was probably the best best big man in the league before he got injured and he came back from the playoffs. Torn meniscus doesn't sound great. How confident are you that he will get back? Uh, well, I think that's sort of the thing. I, I, know, I know Philadelphia fans are very, uh, 
chaotic right now. It's, 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 you know, it's an hour by hour thing. Sometimes they're optimistic, sometimes they're down. Uh, so it's really just sort of trying to maintain that. But I think what it all boils down to is, you know, these injuries aren't very black and white. It's, it, there's, a, there's a gray area almost all the time with these injuries. Um, and with a knee, with a guy who's seven foot and, you know, however, however you know, many pounds Joel Embiid is, it's a very sensitive situation, obviously. But the normal way to react to a torn anything in a knee is to panic and, and assume the worst. Uh, my understanding is that this is a, a pretty manageable injury by, by, you know, whatever, by the reports and, you know, by what the team is saying. Um, so really it's just about injury management and if he's hurt and he's, and, and it's, 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 it's swollen or what have you, he's feeling pain. Don't go as hard. I said a little bit mm. more, you know, to do the, do what's needed to manage it. But by all accounts, this is not something that should, um, prevent him from playing and ostensibly in the Sixers season short of expectations. Austin Crow joins us from Philadelphia. He's a reporter at the Painted Lines, Last Out Media, the feed to Embiid, which has to be one of the great podcast names, and more, giving us an update <laughs> on all things out of Philly and the NBA playoffs. So they're going to take on the Atlanta Hawks. Now, you would think if you go by the home and away seedings, uh, of course it relates to how healthy Embiid is, that they shouldn't pose too much of a threat, but Trey Young is the biggest thorn in their side. How do they go about combating him? Um, yeah, Trey Young is a, is, a, is a heck of a guard um, for the Atlanta Hawks. He he terrorized the Knicks in their first round series. I think what it comes down to is he's a guy that likes to get the ball on the floor, um, make plays. He's also a very capable shooter. But I think um, really it's about keeping him away from the middle of of the floor in the paint in the painted area and just making him sort of uncomfortable, giving him different looks defensively, and not letting him get too uh, adjusted to what they're doing. And I mean, for a point guard, especially one that reads defenses as well as Trey Young does, um, you want to, you know, be, you want to react and adjust to, to keep him on his toes as much as possible. Because if you do too much of the same thing, he'll sniff it out too fast. Mm. Um, so uh, just keeping him uncomfortable. Good. He uh, he was public enemy number one in this um, in this New York series. Like he, he was the one that everyone loved to hate. He was the <laughs> villain, so to speak. It was it was it was great to watch. I know there's a lot of talk about crowd behavior and fans overstepping the mark on two or three instances. But how do you think the Philly fans? Um, I'm assuming they're back in the stadium. Will greet him. Uh, to a smattering of booze is what I would yeah. say. That's for sure. Um, you know they're a very rowdy bunch very passionate bunch sometimes they're a little bit too rowdy but i think you know generally speaking you're going to find some bad seeds in every fan base and not just in you know in in in, the, in america but across all sports there's alcohol at these events and mm. it's it's maybe not it's certainly preventable but i think there's just it's just you know the the law of averages says there's probably going to be at least one bad seed at these events uh before we let you go can they can they win it all? Or I guess that is relying on the health of their big man. Yeah. I mean, I think the consensus is that they're a very strong contender, but you know, you have two top dogs in the East with uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then you have the Brooklyn Nets who have, you know, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. So those are, those two teams are going to duke it out in their own second round series. And then the winner, takes on, you know, likely Philly if they can pull out their series. So 
I, the way I look at it is I think I'd pick the winner of the Eastern of the Eastern Conference to win the entire thing. So if Philly can get past them and Embiid's healthy, I would I would think Philly has a good chance. And before we let you go, uh, Anthony Davis is back for the Lakers today. Their game gets underway. Um, well, last opportunity against Phoenix, losing, they're gone. Is is it all coming to an end for LeBron? Who is not the question? I learned I learned once or twice in my life to not to not bet against LeBron James. Yeah. I'm going to say tonight the Lakers win. Mm. We'll wait and see. That would be fascinating. Hey, mate, lo- love your work. The feed to Embiid. I've got to download this podcast. I-, I love the name. It's caught me. I appreciate the update, mate, and-, and good luck to your guys from Philly. No problem. Thank you for having me. It's a fascinating insight into the scrutiny that some athletes are under, like Essendon hosting Richmond in the dream time that was supposed to be at the G. West uh, WA put their hand up for it. It is now... Sold out, I believe, to take us through it. He's one of the best in the business and has been for a very, very long time. The West Australian's Mark Duffield. He joins us. Mark, thanks so much for your time. Kane, great to be on the air with you, mate. Is it sold out? Uh, sold out. It was sold out. It was 17 hours uh, the other day. There was a chance of a second round of allocations, uh, I think, today, depending on um, if some people didn't take up their full allocation. So we're waiting to hear news on that, but I think we're expecting, yeah, 55,000 to 60,000 there. Obviously, inevitably, a few people don't go. They've had to reroute the long walk as well because they were going to start it at the gardens in East Perth and there's been too many people register. So they're now uh, starting at the Wacker where they can gather them all and uh, walk over the Matagara Bridge. It's going to be pretty spectacular because the bridge, like the roof, of the stadium can be lit in different colours. So it'll be lit in the Indigenous colours. They will stop at the Nikki Winmar statue, which was serendipitously put uh, next to Optus Stadium rather than, you know, around St Kilda or Victoria Park where the event actually happened back in mm. 1993. So all round it's going to be a, a, an absolutely spectacular event. It's a, it's a stunning response from the, the Western Australian public. Was it one that surprised you or as you would have expected once it was announced that the game would be played there? I think I expected a strong response, but I guess when two teams from out of town are playing in town, you wonder what a strong response meant. I thought north of 40,000, I thought, mm. would go to the game. Um, uh, I think it shows that if uh, tickets are priced sensibly rather than exorbitantly, people will respond in kind. Um, and West Australians, because of the, the limited size of Subiaco Oval before they moved to Optus Stadium, uh, West Australians have historically paid for expensive football tickets. Um, so I think all those things play into it, but also just the the fact that it's a special event. And I also think, don't underestimate um, the impact that Indigenous players have had uh, mm. on the game in Western Australia. You know, when you look at Polly Farmer, Barry Cable, Stephen Michael, um, these great, great champions, all the way up until, you know, more recently with the likes of Nicky Winmar and Peter Matera, uh, Chris Lewis in the 1990s, and of course Jeff Farmer, um, Michael Johnson, Stephen Hill, Brad Hill, etc., etc., etc. There's a, there's an endless list of them coming out of Western Australia, and I think people um, understand the big impact they've had on the game, um, and I think that's been recognised with the response as well. Absolutely, C- cannot wait for that fixture. Now we're we're all uncertain how the fixture plays out. We we, we get that. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me though that Richmond would play there on Saturday fly back for a buy and then fly back to WA. I mean, so West Coast and Richmond have the scheduled buy 
next weekend in would it not make sense to bring that game forward and have the bye the following week? I would have thought so. And I, and I kind of was hearing noises earlier in the week that that's what Richmond expected to happen. So Richmond were expecting to stay put. But talking to people at West Coast yesterday, they were still expecting to play the game in Sydney um, uh, and fly back to Perth and then have their bye. So they were expecting to take leave next week. Now, unless something changes pretty quickly, um, of course, we're going to run out of time to, to have that. So, yeah, I would have thought it made sense. And I think there's an upcoming game against the Western Bulldogs as well. So it actually it might make a little bit of sense for them for them to stay put and uh, after they play Fremantle on Sunday and, and get a game out of the way. Because clearly it's going to be a very, very difficult thing for the AFL to navigate from this point forward. Um, unless the, the outbreak in Victoria gets controlled and stamped out very quickly, the strain of the virus there seems so contagious that they're going to have to get zero numbers for several days, I would have thought, before they consider coming out of lockdown. And, and while they're in lockdown, the fixture gets very problematic, doesn't it? Do you sense that there's a bit more leeway with the Western Australian government now that the election is over and they possibly could put their hand up for more fixtures, more neutral fixtures? In games, you're not suggesting you're not suggesting it's always been about politics, are you, Kane? <laughs> As opposed to well, public health. Well, yeah. <laughs> Getting Look, into areas I, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> um, I, I think they have softened a little bit. I think, obviously, as more and more people get vaccinated, um, the dynamic of how this can be managed changes. Um, you know, I know I've had my first shot um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and more and more people are following my lead. I think the the scary nature of the outbreak in Victoria has kind of, I think that's got people thinking about getting vaccinated as well. They're starting to realise that our only way through and out of this is by getting vaccinated. Yeah, I sense the WA government has softened a little bit. I I think even if their actions haven't um, softened a lot, their rhetoric has softened a bit. There's a lot of sabre rattling, you know, from the West Australian government early on in the piece about... It was almost a bit of nan nan and nan now, you know, you've got the virus and we don't. Um, mm. Now it's more like there's a lot of understanding. I think when the Victorians um, reported this last outbreak, they were we were one of the last states to, to close the borders to them. Um, so I suspect that there is a little bit more understanding. Um, and clearly what this will show the government is the opportunity that exists to bring big events to um, to the state and the, the way West Australians will respond to them. You know, we only get 22 games of AFL football a year unless one of our teams makes a final and hosts a final. So I think there is demand for more big games here if uh, the AFL can find a way to schedule them. Yeah. Let's talk about the big team over there. That's the Eagles. I've written about it in the paper today. I'm not thrilled exactly with where they're at with their age demographic injuries to key players and a lack of draft picks coming through. And their on-field performance has been questionable from where we perhaps thought they would be. How do you see the Eagles? And, and once again, they've been struck down by injury ahead of their game this weekend. Yeah, it was a great column. Um, I actually had a bit of sleeping today, so I've just uh, I've just actually read it then after after mm. getting out of bed. But um, it's a great column. Um, I think the the issue of young talent, particularly young midfield talent, coming through is a massive issue for them. I think it it forced them into. Um, or maybe persuaded them into a selection error last week when they played Essendon and they picked Elliot Yo off a very mm. short preparation. He was on managed game time when they lost the two players to injury early in that game against the Bombers. They were really cooked. Um, I think once the Bombers were still in touch, 
early in the third quarter, it was almost like the winner of the game was inevitable just because West Coast weren't going to have the fit soldiers to cover the ground. Um, their reticence to pick a young player like a Xavier O'Neill, who's in the team this week and has played... He played five games last year and, and he's played four this year. I, I would have gone with Xavier O'Neill and I would, if I was them, I'd be trying to find out more about him between now and the end of the season. Mm. These things are hard to do when you feel like you're in contention. But you get the feeling now that unless something changes dramatically for West Coast this year, they're not really in contention. And really what they're fighting for is a spot at the bottom end of the eight and, and, and maybe another final as opposed to really challenging deep into September. Um, O'Neill has some hope, I think, as a young midfielder. Um, Zane True, who's in the squad this week, he has some hope. I think he, we haven't seen a lot of him yet. He was a, a highly touted prospect before sliding down the order at the at the draft and, and ending up as a rookie pick for, for West Coast. Um, so there are a couple there, but clearly their riches lie in the in the tall key position stocks. Um, you know, Josh Kennedy's 33, Shannon Hearn is 33. Those guys don't cover the ground like they used to. And, and they're a bit out of balance too, I reckon, Kane. Like, mm. I think they're, they're reluctant to play Oscar Allen as a forward ruck, which they've done in the past, because he is such a highly prized asset. Mm. And they don't want a monster like a Shane Mumford sticking a knee through his spleen or something like that in a ruck contest. So they've, they've ended up with the extra tall playing, and that's robbed them of run again through the middle, I think. And I think that's been a problem for them. And I actually reckon it's cost them two games. I reckon it cost them the game against St Kilda when they were five goals out, out in front and ran out of legs. And I reckon it cost them the game at the weekend against the Bombers. Um, I think the Bombers are very promising, but I'm not sure they're, as, they're quite as far advanced as people think they are, just because I think West Coast selection makeup actually did them cold on, on the weekend. Yeah, uh, and injuries piling up there. Uh, good to see Luke Edwards, who is the son of Tyson, making his debut probably for the Eagles on the weekend. Uh, what about uh, the Frio Dockers, a big name and one out of contract young midfielder Adam Chirrut. Now, he's had a contract on offer, according to the Dockers, for some time now. He hasn't signed it. Where do you expect? What's your gut feel about where he plays his footy next year? And should the Dockers be concerned? Oh, I think they should be concerned, but I think they still are optimistic and confident he'll stay. I think the, I reckon one of the issues is going to be they put a four-year deal to him. Um, it's a big one. It's close to $3 million over four years. Um, so I don't think they're going to be outbid for him, um, but I reckon he may be more inclined to to want to sign for two if he signs, and I reckon he's still making up his mind if he's going to sign. They still they still seem comfortable and optimistic about keeping him. You get you kind of get a sense when a club gets concerned. I'm, I'm not sensing that um, yet, but I don't think he's he's over the line yet. So. If you're asking me out of 100, I reckon he's probably 55, 45, maybe 60, 40, um, still in their favour. But um, they'd want to continue to show that um, they're on track. And, and you're kind of getting mixed messages from Fremantle mm. on that front at the moment. You know, the Port Adelaide game was a classic. It was like they were still on the team bus in the first quarter. Um, you know, like Witches Hats and Port made an mm. absolute mess of them. Then I thought they would played a really strong brand in the second and third quarters and kind of put it to Port a bit. And, and you thought, oh, you know, they might get something out of this, but they can't kick straight. That's a massive problem for them. Um, and, and it's been a problem for them all year. And um, and obviously, in the end, they didn't do enough scoreboard damage to make Port worried and Port were able to kick clear again at the end of the game. I think they'll be pretty competitive against the Bulldogs 
uh, on Sunday um, because it's here and they play very strongly here. And I think their brand will go okay against the, the doggies. Mm. Um, but they would want to perform, continue to perform um, strongly enough to, for Chera to think that there's a future there. If you look at their engine room as it might look in two or three years' time, I reckon Sean Darcy's been one of the, the untold stories of the year. I think he's True. emerged as a really, really good young ruckman. Of yeah. um, Brayshaw, there's been a lot of talk about and has played very well. Chera, you would have seen his class on deck against mm. Port last week, just a couple of moments, you know, handballs in heavy traffic. And, of course, Sarong, the, the, the rising star winner from, from last year. That's a good young engine room in the making. Um, they could do with one more good tall forward. Um, and they could do with getting their tall defenders fit, which has just been a massive problem for them. They, they've got them. They just can't get them out there. Um, Alex Pierce is now... He's probably due to play his first full game in the waffle this weekend. And they should get Griffin Logue back from injury this week. So, um, yeah, I think... Still more likely to stay than go, but but not that much more likely. And they could do with kicking straight. You alluded to that. I, I I can't believe a player who I see as you know one of the most confident men and footballs we've ever seen. Nat Fife marking the ball from twenty five out directly in front and going around the body. Now he's kicked five seventeen for the year. It's been well documented. But for such a experienced, confident two time Brownlow medalist to do that, and I know it's it's not uncommon for players to do it, but did, did that surprise you that he would go to that tactic? It's, it's, look, I think the fact that he's gone to that tactic tells you he's not confident in set shot drop punts. Yeah. The, the thing that probably disappointed Justin Longmere and, and the thing that surprised me was the lack of time he took over it. Mm. If you're going to kick that ball, that has to be aimed. You have to like set yourself up to do it and you have to aim it at the right goalpost because any curl is going to take it left. And uh, it, it was almost... He didn't take the time he needed, which had a, a, a double effect. It meant that the Fremantle players couldn't set up in case he missed. So it meant that Port had a leg up from the kicking. Um, but then it was just aimed at the left goalpost. So there was a lack of thought and preparation went into it. And that probably cuts back to Nathan right now doesn't want to be thinking about it. So it's got into his head. And, and I reckon you can go back a fair way with this, Kane. I think if you go back all the way to the, the 2013 grand final, five took... took took two monstrous marks early in that game and he, he didn't score with either of the set shots. Um, I think one hit the point post on the full and the other one just went out of bounds on the full. And Fremantle went on and kicked 8-14 that day. They had as many scoring shots as Hawthorne, lost their one grand final by 15 points. And it took, talking to people close to Nathan, it took a long time for him to get over it. And I just wonder whether in the back of his mind, there are all these demons, always these demons lurking about his set shots. And um, it's come back to haunt him this year because he missed a few early and it's all compounded on him. If he'd have kicked straight this year, he would have had one hell of a season mm. um, because he's, he's played very strong footy apart from that. And he probably would have, you know, 10 or 15 goals to his name as well as the work he's done around the ground. So it's taking a lot off his game and it's something that needs to be addressed. And hopefully he gets a couple under the belt early um, on Sunday and gets it out of his system. Good on you, Duff. Always appreciate your time, mate. Good on you, Kane. Good to talk to you. Mark Duffield from the West. And what an occasion that is going to be. I understand it. Very good morning to you and welcome into the Captain's Run. Each and every week we catch up with the Melbourne Rebels, the Rebels and the Crusaders, Saturday, June 12th at Amy Park. Tickets at Ticketek. Game is next week. Um, one of the big men, one of the most popular men from the Rebels joins us. Albert Anae is on the line. Albert, thanks so much for your time. 
No, thank you for having me. Has it been chaos, mate? Has the Victorian situation thrown your squad into chaos? Take us through what uh, your last 10 days or so has looked like. Yeah, look, I think the, I guess last year the, the team had, I guess, the, the taste of, you know, moving in and out of home um, for pretty much the whole season. So uh, I didn't really get to experience that last season. But coming into this season, um, you know, the boys are used to it. It's nothing new. Um, and we just get on with the job. So they've obviously been uh, located to um, Leichhardt in uh, Sydney. And that's where they're going to be based. So um, I guess... It, at the end of the day, I think it's good prep for us. We're, we're here at home. It's on our soil, so um, everything's been going well. Hey, tell us a bit about your story. It's a it's a really interesting one. Born in New Zealand, but of Samoan heritage. Uh, last week, you were selected yep. in the Samoan 31-man squad for matches against the All Blacks and Tonga. How did you find yourself at the Rebels? Yeah, so how I found myself at the Rebels, well, I, last year I retired and um, I took up real estate. And um, at the back end of last year, I was getting a few feet, so I decided to come back into the game. Um, flew over to Japan, and I uh, joined uh, a team called Yakult. Um, the, the competition got scrapped after the first couple of weeks of me being there. And then I came back, quarantined, and um, the Rebels approached me while I was in quarantine. So uh, that's how the Rebels get, uh, popped up. There was a lot of injuries, obviously, throughout the team. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how I'm involved with the Rebels, so very lucky. Uh, and did you keep your connection to real estate, or is it something you'll revisit when you when you do eventually hang them up? Oh, absolutely. I think real estate was a good avenue for me to, to really work hard on, I guess, life outside of rugby. Um, and the fact that I've got that as a, a backbone, I could fall back into that whenever I want now. So um, I'm going to keep going to the wheels fall off with rugby and uh, mm. have uh, real estate as a, as a backup. Uh, it's a great story. And, and, mate, it's Samoan Language Week as well. That's going to run, will run from uh, May the 30th to June the 5th, so it finishes tomorrow. The importance of the yeah. Samoan communi- community to, to rugby here in Australia? Yeah, look, it's very important. And I think um, across the board, whether it's Samoans, Samoans or Fijians, the Islander community in rugby plays a big part, um, especially here in Australia. Um, you know, our biggest competitors in the rugby world is not... It's not the Kiwis, it's not um, the South Africans, it's it's the AFL and the Rugby League. So the more we, um, I guess, tap into our grassroots of rugby here, the better we are as a code moving forward. Mm. Hey, mate, it's a, it's a great story. I look forward to hopefully seeing you in action against the All Blacks. That one's coming up in, uh, in later next month. So good luck with that. It's a great story, mate, and we appreciate you sharing it with us this morning. No worries at all. Thank you for having me on board. Melbourne Rebels, we chat to him each and every week. That was Albert Anay, who um, is a bit of a journeyman, really. He's, he's been everywhere. He's played in Queensland. Of course, he's for, from New Zealand. He's got Samoan heritage. So great for him to explore. That it is, one 736 736 Six-pack of zero-plus sports beer. I can vouch for it. It is good stuff. Zero-plus sports beer. Great-tasting, non-alcoholic beer. Dreamtime. He's not at the G, but it is the theme of the quiz this morning. Brett is on the line. Thanks for calling, Brett, and kicking us off on the quiz. No worries, Kano. What year did Dreamtime at the G commence? Ooh, 2008. Not 2008. You're close, but not quite. Stuart. G'day, Stewie. 
How are you doing, Kane? What year did Dream Time at the G commence? Uh, I think it was 2005. I think it was. Absolutely, it was. The medal for best on ground wasn't given out until the following year. Who was the inaugural winner? That's a tough one. Um, Dean Polo kicked three goals. Oh, you're on fire. You are on fire, Stewie. I've got a feeling you're going to go straight through here. Uh, where was the game played last year, the COVID-affected game, to give you a hint? Yeah, it was played up in um, Darwin. Absolutely, it was played up in Darwin. Um, who is the only two-time award winner of that medal? Um, Dusty. Oh, my goodness. This is unbelievable scenes. We've got Michael, Luke, Billy, James and Tony all waiting for you to slip up, Stewie, but I don't think you're going to. In the 2007 match, which player thought he had put his team ahead when the match was tied at 84 apiece, but he actually committed a push-in-the-back free kick? His team then went on to lose the game by eight points. I'll be rich, I mean. Oh, my Dewey, are you some sort of um, football trivia freak, are you, or what? Uh, just when it comes to Richmond, unfortunately. <laughs> so you're a Richmond man, clearly. Correct, yes. All right. Well, how do you see the team's fortunes right now? Are they going to make a late charge? Can they win it from where they are now? Give, give us your thoughts. Um, I'd love to say they'll, they'll be in the top four, but I think we'll um, finish fifth or sixth and can hopefully still win it from there. All right, and uh, the injury injury news, no Tommy Lynch, some other some other injuries, but not uncommon for the team to be suffering these types of injuries at this time. They'll all come back for finals like they always do? Um, hopefully, but it uh, gives us a good chance to see the younger players, which um, we haven't had a chance to for a while, So, which is good. So any, if we don't make it this year, it can only make us stronger for the years to come, hopefully. Now, now, Stewie, I, I made a comment on the uh, footy classified on Monday night that they should potentially consider a Luke Hodge-style arrangement with Jack Revolt because of this Callum Coleman-Jones kid who's 21 and has been waiting in the wings. How do they play this out between Lynch, Coleman-Jones and Revolt? And is there a risk of losing the young fella? I think... I don't think so. From, talking to, or from the interview that he had after the game, he was pretty happy to be waiting his turn. I just think that Jack will find that he'll play less time on the field, unfortunately, but he's still good as a coach on the ground for the young guy. Well, that was the most clinical performance we've ever had in Chad's Brothers Quiz. He swept it. He went straight through. I'll put you back to Benny. Congratulations, Stewie. He'll sort you out with all of the prizes. I, I copped a bit of grief for those comments. Now's your opportunity to have your say. So um, I, I had a comment also about the the McKay twins, uh, Ben and Harry, both are out of contract. One's playing full-back or centre-half-back for North. The other's leading the Coleman middle. They're 23 years of age. They are both unsigned. One's won three games in his five-year career. That is Ben. The other's won 17 in his five-game career. Not, not a lot of success for those two. They're out of contract for a reason. I reckon it would be the greatest recruiting achievement perhaps in AFL history, if a team like the Bombers could pull it off and team these two up, have one at one end, one at the other for the next 10 years. one 736 736 You can have your say on that. And instead of sending me a mean tweet, Richmond fans, you, you heard the comment I made about Jack Revolt. Now's your opportunity. You, you shout at me from time to time. Some some agree with it. A few did. 
a lot of you shouted at me on social media. Now's your time to, to ring up and debate that with me right now. That number's one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Taking your calls through until uh, midday today. Uh, Nathan Buckley, we've heard from this morning. He's given an extensive media conference this morning. The board situation is getting ugly. Bucks had his say. Um, Nick, it's, it's something that happens above my head, and um, and obviously there's it's. It's topical right here, right now, with the uh, with the advent of uh, more conversations, I suppose, coming out in the open. Um, but I, you know, I, I believe that um, you know, I believe that most of those people have Collingwood's best interests at heart. Um, what I would say is that, um, and for what it's worth, you know, I actually believe that there's been a whole heap of change to this football club over the last three or four years in particular, I think we're a much better um, organisation um, across those years. And I believe um, yeah, the people that are on the current board have have, um, have had no small part in, in that progress. Uh, yes, we're, we're struggling at the moment on field and our win-loss doesn't look great. Um, and there have been some, some challenges of, you know, in terms of the salary cap. Um, and obviously the Do Better report, which is really public. But I, there's been that much change that has taken place. I believe the people that are on the current board are the right people to take the club forward um, and, um, and and believe in time that that will be uh, vindicated. There you go. Nathan Buckley having his say on uh, the issues affecting Collingwood. Let's get to your calls. We've got a lot of them lining up. Let's whip through them as quickly as we can before 12 o'clock. Ben's in Box Hill. The McKay twins. Benny, your thoughts? Got you there, Benny? Yeah, mate. What do you want to say about the Mackay, I think it's pronounced? The twins and my comments uh, about I the team recruiting. I want to say that... Oh, sorry. Um, that we're rebuilding as a club, especially uh, Ben Mackay, the one for North Melbourne. And, um, yeah, we're regrouping and, yeah, he should stick around with North Melbourne because we're going to be better in the future than Essendon. Um, and yeah, it's good culture down at North Melbourne and he should be staying there. There you go. That's the pitch from Ben to Ben. Ben in Box Hill says to Ben Mackay, stay at North. The culture is good and they are building. I'd be a little bit nervous for, for any player that's out of contract after the midway point of the season. Not saying it can't end well, but doesn't often end well, um, I, would, I would assume. Uh, Louis is on the line. You want to speak about the ticketing at the SCG, Louis? What's caught your attention? Yeah, Kane, how are you, mate? Good, mate. You well? Good. Mate, I, originally I thought it was a Carlton home game. So I've got family that were going who were members of Carlton, and now they're saying that the AFL's taken it away as a home game, as a neutral game. How do they expect people to actually go there? Why don't they just let the people of Carlton members, West Coast members, go in and make it a bit of an atmosphere at that game. Yeah, so, well, I thought it was a Carlton home game as well. So you can't get tickets for your family, Louis? So I can, no, I cannot use my membership to get into that ground. Yeah, I think we're all understanding the inconveniences and the challenge for the AFL, but doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me if you can confirm or deny Louis's statement. If you've had family or yourself or listening to us in New South Wales and you've had trouble getting in, let us know. Uh, Daniel wants to speak about the Mackay twins. G'day, Dan. Hey, Kane. How you going? Good, mate. 
That's all right. Um, yeah, the Mackay brothers, uh, as an Essendon supporter, I don't mind it. Um, I think, you know, with uh, with our back line especially, it's a bit questionable and, and Ben could play easily down there and Harry, we need another target given Kyle Hooker is probably uh, on his last legs. But um, I just I just was disappointed as well in the mid-season draft. We didn't really go after someone we needed, I didn't feel. Um, we went after another midfielder. So I definitely agree with your comments from before, but... Um, look, if we can get another key back and a key forward, such as the Mackay brothers, I'd, uh, I'd be pretty happy. I think it solves a, a, a perfect need for the Bombers. I reckon they got the salary cap room. There's clearly a spot for them at either end. Uh, Hurley getting on and hasn't played. Hooker getting on, holding down a key position uh, very admirably at the moment. But straight in, shore up your spine for the next 10 years. And, most importantly, the sentimental value of having them playing together. Uh, I can speak from experience. It's, it's amazing playing footy with your brother. So, I don't know. It's just one of the great opportunities, I reckon, for Essendon to make their pitch. I hope they're doing it. Uh, Lockie's on the line. You're a Richmond fan, Lockie. Uh, I mentioned yeah. a Luke Hodge-style transition for Jack Revolt. Yes or no? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to sit on the fence, but you raised it. I heard it the other night when you were on the the footy classified as well and it got me thinking and it's probably got a lot of people thinking it's for me it's a no but what about bigger picture like Koch Jack those guys taking a haircut uh, I mean we've always we've been together we've you know we've been an amazing unit for the last five years wouldn't they bigger picture I mean they're set for life being Richmond uh, mm. You know, which legends. Uh, legends, yeah. So, why wouldn't they just all take a little bit of a haircut? To I, I don't see why we wouldn't. Um, rather than losing him, and plus losing him at you know, you saw him last week. He was damn good. Um, we, yeah. can't, we we wouldn't have won the game without him. So, uh, I know that he's getting on. He could ha- he could be one hamstring away from from having long term soft tissue injuries. So, I, I get the logic. It's a very good question you posed, but. Do you get where I'm coming from as well? If uh, yeah, I, I, I do. And I, I don't know. Koch and Revolt may, may have taken pay cuts. I don't know. I'm, I'm more speaking about the opportunity. So if Revolt and Lynch are there, Coleman Jones can't play, uh, I, I don't think, which means he's susceptible to be picked off from other clubs who will give him the, that opportunity. But I, I understand it's not it's not an easy decision to make. And it wasn't actually any criticism whatsoever of Jack Revolt. I've mentioned him a, a million times you know, what an unbelievable footballer he has been. And to think that he could still get two or three years at another club is actually a compliment to him. We'll be back on the other side of this to wrap it all up. It is 12 minutes to 12. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Uh, it's been a big show. If you've missed any of it, you can go back and download the podcast and listen along. Just search for the SEN one, including um, the comments about Collingwood off the top and a look back to how the season has played out for them. Taking a lot of your calls, we'll sneak in Mick, who wants to have his say on the Mackay Twins. What's your thoughts on it, Mick? G'day, Kane. How are you, mate? Good, mate. First, you love your show, buddy. Listen, a couple of two things. First thing, if they go for them, how the hell are they going to get them? But my point is I'm convinced North are making a play at Harry McKay. Now, they let Logan McDonald go in last year's draft, and they said they're going for midfielders mm. first. But I've got a feeling that North Melbourne are going to try to walk Harry to us in the preseason draft. We've got all the leverage. We can get him for nothing. Yes, well... That is, I, see, I love those sort of theories, Mick, and it makes a lot of sense 
to me. So could North do what I'm suggesting that Essendon do, but it's a lot easier for them. All they need to do is re-sign one of them and then sign the brother. So, yeah, it is a little bit easier for North. The question would be, as I said, Ben's only played in three wins in five years. So does does Harry want to go and join that club? Um, Because it appears a long way away before North will be contending, not saying that he won't have time to do so. He's only 23 years of age. So I, I like it. I like it, Mick. I love any sorts of theories. I would encourage North Melbourne to do that. They've had a crack at a lot of players over the journey north and they haven't been able to land too many of them. Uh, you can enter now the Thirsty Camel and Carlton's Draft Crystal Ball Competition at iCanWin.com.au. The prediction for tonight's game, Lockie Neal is back in. That just snuck up on us, didn't it? Just saw him yesterday on social media at the airport. I was like, surely not. Lockie Neal's back already. I don't know. Um, Giant Stadium, Melbourne on fire, but Brisbane on fire as well. Can Melbourne buy into the defensive aspects as well as they did last week? They were just on so connected last week, and uh, Western Bulldogs had no answers. Uh, yeah, look, I think Brisbane will challenge them with their ball movement and with their powerful way that they're playing. I think Brisbane might win tonight, but. I don't say that with any confidence. Uh, Dwayne or Shane, what is it? I learned an amazing fact yesterday. It was unbelievable that uh, Dwayne Russell, our man, was born Shane. Dwayno, what's happening? Well, every now and then your parents have a bit of a think about it, and they think, hang on, well, yeah, well, we, I know the birth certificate says Shane, but we actually like Dwayne better. So maybe they just wanted to give me a name that was... Um, well, I played that uh, draft song the other day, rather than yeah. playing old boring old Paul, um, a bit more like Jimmy Ricard. So, uh, yeah, they changed their mind and and uh, went about it with Dwayne, which was an interesting change-up. I think my father, I think from memory, he was a Dwayne Eddy fan going back in the day. He was a guitarist okay. way back when. So I think that's where he got the Dwayne name from because it wasn't really a prominent it's not really a, an Australian kind of name, is it? It's got a bit of a, an American connotation to it. So that's the story. They just changed their mind a few months after I was born, I think about six or seven months after, that uh, they might go with Dwayne instead, which was a bit bizarre, but uh, got the birth certificates uh, the same, and now my driver's <laughs> licence, my passport's at least got Dwayne on it. I had to go oh. about that change. I'll tell you what, I like the change to having um, a few kids picked up in this mid-season draft as well, Kano. I know that you don't like it that much. You don't think that was what it was intended. I no. like the fact that the dream stays alive for a few of these kids to mm. have a good first half of the next season and you could still get a chance. Yeah, look, I'm not going to go to war over it. I just thought um, the intention of it was to, you know, to, to fill a bit of a hole for teams that have been affected by injury and you know, lead them to not be too disadvantaged halfway point of view. I can't see there's a case for many of them playing at all this year. Perhaps one or two may get an opportunity. So I just wonder whether the best scenario may be for a mid-season um, trade period. Now, I think the buzz and the hype mm. that that would create would be significant and also give players, say, say Elliot Himmelberg at Adelaide, who can't get a game for whatever reason. You know, could you trade him to Collingwood, who need a key forward? I don't know. I think that would be uh, something the fans would get around. As I said, I'm not completely against yeah. it, and I like seeing young players get opportunities, but just not being used the way that I thought it was intended to be used. Well, there could be a number of teams that would want Mason Cox right now as well. I know Correct. he's got a larynx injury. And his, I don't know if he's available this weekend or not, but it's said that he was available test on the Collingwood website's injury list. So, yeah, you'd certainly go and grab a Mason Cox from Collingwood. They're not going to play him. There's plenty of other teams that, that might. And speaking of changing, Collingwood, Kane, 
Uh, Nathan Buckley's press conference, you were on air, mm. so you probably didn't get a chance to sort of listen to all of it and dissect it, but he intimated that he's going to change his style in that. In the next two or three weeks, they're going to become more attacking. And I reckon it's gone under the radar. I'm not too sure many of the journalists have seen that part of that press conference and seen it as story-worthy, but it's the first time I've heard Nathan Buckley suggest that he's about to become more attacking and change their style. Well, I hope, I hope he does. I, I did. We played a couple of quotes from him denying that it is a defensively-minded game plan, which is hard to deny with the results that they've got. But they need to, Dwayne. I think yep. for him to, to keep his job and to sell some hope to the new board or the current board that he's the man, they've got to adjust that game style. What's coming up? I read you've got Liam Jones, you've got Geelong uh, star Sean Higgins. You're going to talk some uh, NRL Campbell Brown's coming on and all the latest tennis action with Ash Barty bowing out with our man Brett Phillips. Big show coming up. Yeah, Carlton, elimination final for Carlton. If they can get this one won, they've got a couple of winnable games on the horizon, but uh, they lose this one on the weekend, Carlton, to the West Coast Eagles. Injury to play to West Coast. They're Gonski. So, uh, yeah, elimination final. Liam Jones from the Blues to join me shortly. He's on fire and he'll take your calls. Midday Madness, one 736 736 Stay safe, everyone. I look forward to speaking to you again each and every Friday. We'll do that from 9 o'clock Friday. Have a great weekend. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.